Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to Front and Nationwide. This is the Athletics Dedicated Blue Jackets Podcast. Aaron Portson with you on a Wednesday afternoon. Beautiful blue skies, white clouds out there. Allison Lucan is here. Hello. Allison, the offseason is uh, upon us. It is indeed here, yes. Have you settled into the groove yet or do you still feel like you're decompressing from the season that was? Um, I think I'm not in a new groove yet, but I, honestly, yeah. like I, I didn't need to decompress. I think I went through that already. <laughs> yeah, right. That was called March. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly correct. Yeah. Um, I just, I had a bit of a moment yesterday where I just want someone to make sense of everything for me. I want, I want people to, I, I'm not usually an organized person you may have recognized, but I, mean, I you want, said it. Yeah. But I, it's just such a big summer. And if you, I think if you're not, um, if you step back and look at everything, it can be really overwhelming how much is on the docket this summer, how much there is to get done. Um, man, I wouldn't want to be Yarmo Kekalainen right now because that is a big freaking job and i'm guessing it just has to be cut into small pieces and you fight what you can on a daily basis but it is going to be fascinating to watch this unfold this summer and we're going to a bit later in this podcast go through we've each ranked our five biggest storylines of the off season um and we'll just going to compare them maybe we'll argue but we're both pretty bright people i'm sure we'll, we'll agree on most of these um but I think first we want to get to um, John Tortorella, a, mm-hmm. a farewell to the man who was here for 
six years. Um, I'm sure if you're listening to this, you you by now know John Tortorella and the Blue Jackets parted ways. Um, and you know what? I was raised in the in the newspaper business to write it as it happened. If someone was fired, say they were fired. Don't say that they decided to go their different directions. No, you had contract term. That's not what happened here is they, they decided to part ways. And I think John Tortorella went to them first and said, uh, I'm not doing this anymore. I think I'm going to move on after my six years, but I don't think the organization was going to bring him back either anyway. Mm-hmm. So I think both sides had reached a point where they felt like it was probably a good time to part ways. So much is going to change around here, Allison. Um, and so I wanted to spend some time on that guy who impacted so many things around here. Every player in that room, every person who works for the Blue Jackets, every media member who covers the Blue Jackets is impacted by John Tortorella in some ways. Um, and so let's talk about him and say our farewells to him. I think we've each had our personal uh, time to say farewell to him. You know somebody for six years, you kind of get to know him a little bit, at least on some level. Yeah. Um What's your what's your prevailing memory of, of John Tortorella? How do you think he should be remembered in Columbus, Ohio, Allison? I mean, I, I think that until someone comes in here and, and wins a Stanley Cup, I think he holds the mantle as as the most valuable coach this organization has ever had. I think that both from a narrative perspective and an on-ice product perspective, this is the man that that made this team legitimately respectable. Um, and he, he, he put Columbus on the map for, for good reasons in many ways. And, you know, I've talked about this a lot. This was part of what he did for all the, the brash and, and the quotables and this and that was the national, the international media knows who John Tortorella is. And thus people started to pay attention to Columbus and Columbus did good things most of the time when that spotlight was there in terms of the on-ice product. And um, I think that this is someone, we've talked about this, that when when this organization does the next lookbacks and the next retrospectives, there's going to be a, a chapter for the John Tortorella years, as, as there rightly should be. Yeah, I think back to, this fascinated me when I, I sort of looked and started to put his career into perspective um he arrived um with much fanfare early 2015-16 and was one period into his time with the blue jackets before he called out ryan johansson mm-hmm. you are not in shape that was in minnesota the first game he coached the blue jackets and he and ryan johansson had kind of a ru- well they had a rough ride until that january Ryan Johansson was traded to Nashville. Um, so immediately the new coach comes in and he and the number one center uh, have a go. His time in Columbus, I think it was probably heading toward an exit anyways. But I think the moment early this season when you knew he was done in Columbus or that he was not going to be coming back next year or really the moment you sort of got the feel that the season was going off the rails and was going to be a real struggle was him uh, clashing with the number one center here and having an issue, whoever's fault it is um, doesn't really matter at this point. 
Um, so it, his time in Columbus sort of started as it began. It began as it started, however, you, or it ended as it, as it started with him um, challenging the number one center and confronting the number one center. And that sort of is how he'll be remembered by so many people is the confrontations he's had, the benchings, the, the scratches, the sits. The thing that I think came through yet again that maybe as many people don't hear, Allison, we heard it loud and clear on player exit interview days. The overwhelming number of players in the dressing room love him. Absolutely yes. love him and are glad that they glad that they played for him. Um so and I think you and I have both tried our best. It's not our job to defend him. We've tried to tell the stories of the real John Tortorella while being fair to the the person he has the capacity to be. Um, but it never seems that the full picture gets out of him. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, I do. And, and you know, it's you and you and I have talked about this center idea. And as much as it's it's true, it's also it also frustrates me to even talk about that story because I think it's an easy out. But I, I mean, those both of those things happened, but I think it's an easy out in terms of the bigger scope of what was happening at the beginning and at the end um, for me, because people, you know, it's even even now when stuff was happening with him this year, you know, everyone was saying, oh, he's going to get fired. I'm like, folks, he, it, we've literally written a thousand times the man doesn't have a contract after this season. Like, right. like it's just you you can write you can say everything you want you can't make people consume and more importantly you can't make people understand nor can you make people retain so yeah. um unfortunately sometimes it's those those spicy headlines that that sell right. and that stick with stick with people over the entire story yeah so maybe this is naivety in my part but it seemed like when when i was younger when you and when and i'm older than you so maybe you have different <laughs> Thank memories you for clarifying. I, yes yeah as if it wasn't apparent um, it seemed to me that there were more people, coaches especially, who had rules and the rule, you didn't even really question the rules because they applied to everybody. Mm -hmm. And I think now it's just assumed that by a lot of people, and I'm trying not to do the, these kids today or young people today, because I don't think it is just young people. I think it's everybody. I think there's a widespread assumption that there are different rules for Patrick Lines of the world, or that there should be different rules for the Pierre Luc Dubois. Well, he's your number one center. Like you're not going to do that to him. He's your number one center, right? And that's where John Tortorella never got off. Never, he never strayed with that, and it got him into a lot of trouble because I think it's so unique today. It's so rare today. Like there really are, no matter how everyone says everyone's accountable. But I, I'm not sure that they mean it. I like I this is a, a strange aside here, but I remember there was a, a baseball playoff game where Roger Clemens was giving the home plate umpire just a ton of shit about a strike call or a non-call in the first inning. And the umpire warned him and he kept it up and the umpire threw him out of the game. And I felt like I felt like that was the first time I really recognized it where people were saying with absolutely no apprehension, you can't throw him out of the game. That's Roger Clemens. And I'm saying to myself, well, if you're the umpire, you can't give a damn who it is. Right. 
The rule's you still can't the rule. Care. Right. You can't care who that is. Like, right. And so there's this, but I think there's, it's even more prevalent today that we're well, not going to call that foul on him. That's him. Well, wait a minute. What What is that? Like that, do we not have a rule book or, I don't know. And I think John Tortorella in many ways refused to change with the times. Um, and I always say this too. People say, well, he speaks the truth. I think the way to say it is he speaks his own truth because I think he firmly believes what he's saying. That doesn't necessarily make it always true, Just, but he speaks his own personal, this is what he feels, and he's very passionate about it. But I think that's what, what takes him in a different direction than other coaches is they do bend the rules because they want the star players to like them because they feel like if the star players don't like them, they're not going to play for them. And if the star players don't play for them, they're not going to have a job. And Al- and Allison, John Torella just never has played those games. Uh, do you think I'm on anything? Um, you know, again, it's I I hate what some people are probably just going to hear said versus what's actually being said. You know, I mean, I think I think the man has standards, no question. Um, but at the same time, I think he has evolved a little bit too. I mean, I think you know, even if you listen to his. We knew they were his final comments, even if it wasn't official, but just, he, he, and he always talked about learning how to talk to people and learning how to motivate people and learning how to, to coach the mind, as he liked to say. Um, you know, I, I think that he, he did flex that muscle quite a bit. And I think even on the, on the superficial level of how he interacted with the media, I think we saw him change there. Um, so I think he always had standards. I think he would never wiggle from his standards and I think they were his standards, um, but but I also saw him him change um, in in quite a few ways. Even some of the things of of how he coached, um, yeah. evolving a little bit there too, and, and what he believed sure. about the game. So, yeah, yes and no. <laughs> yeah, and and he evolved in his uh, national anthem position too, which yep. is really interesting to me. Yep. Um, yeah. So there there were. Um, I, yeah, he he's a super interesting person, and I I count myself very fortunate to have covered a legendary figure like Dave King in the early days of the Blue Jackets, a future Hall of Famer like Ken Hitchcock uh, later, and I put Tortorella in that mix because those are three titans of the game, and and I'm I am uh, I'm going to miss him. I am going to miss him, which I don't think people expected or expect too many media members to say, um, I'm going to miss his, his, uh, frankness, certainly on game nights, the clarity, the, the, um, bluntness with, <laughs> with which he spoke. Allison, did you ever come, how many interviews did you step away from going? Wow. Like <laughs> people don't talk like that anymore. I, I mean, I loved it personally. Um, yeah. what, what I always enjoyed, and I think we came to learn, and it would actually make me laugh, is that whenever there was whatever type of game it was, Twitter always was like, oh, here comes a five-second towards press conference, and Twitter always got it wrong. Because when Twitter was expecting him to be outraged and just furious and, and out of control, that was when he would come in and talk to us for like 10, 11 minutes. Right. And, and the reverse is true. The reverse is true. Um, you know, I mean, are there times that I was like, oh, geez, John, not don't, don't do that. Sure, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but like you said, it was never boring. Um, and uh, 
I, I will miss the heck out of him and out of covering him too because it was a blast. It was so much yeah. fun. So let's step inside the or behind the ropes here a little bit. Okay. Uh, for the people and share a couple of, of stories. The, um, this isn't a story necessarily, but just an observation. It's sort of something we learned along the way. Typically, and this was game, this was so to let people know, there are post game interview sessions where those are supposed to be almost exclusively about the game. If the team's off the next day, you can maybe expound on some things uh, to get the coach going a little bit more, but that, that's supposed to be just about the game. Mm-hmm. The practice days afterward, those were the days where you could talk about anything, issues across the league, what do you remember about, like you could get into some wild stuff there. But then game day practices typically were about a player's performance or the game that night. Not a lot of featurey stuff. But the one thing we learned on it, at least I I picked up on a daily basis, is that first questions didn't do squat with him. Yeah. He needed some time to warm up. So yes. if you had like a really rich topic that you were right, they were that you were hooking an entire story on, and you want to get John Tortorella's thoughts on it. The last thing you did was trot that out first. Um, so you'd come up with something to get him talking, to get him loosened up and then usually by the third or fourth question he was rolling and there were some days where you'd talk 28 minutes 25 minutes uh 18 minutes where you're just like there's nothing we didn't talk about today it was incredible um but there were there are ways to to get better answers out of him that you pick up over time you you don't need a long tarmac for your question oh god no oh god no get to the point and even if you're a little bit blunt with your question, he's fine with that too. Mm-hmm. Just give him a general idea of where you're going and he'll typically take it from there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there are times too where, and we only had a few of these, but when you know you've got a difficult question to ask, you know he's not going to want to answer it. Or he even says, I'm not going to answer that. And you got to come back with it because it's what everyone's wondering about. I remember a thing we had with Bobrovsky. I don't even remember what it was. But you have to, you do earn respect of people uh, by continuing to go in on the forecheck on questions like that because you can't, you can't let up. Um, and I think ultimately he hates it short term, um, but he respects it long term. And there were many times where he would get shitty with an answer. And then you'd have a personal follow-up a little bit later where it was, <laughs> where it'd be like, you know, where were you going with this? What the hell kind of question was that? And then you'd, you'd say, here, this is what I asked you earlier. When I asked you this earlier, this is, oh, I got you. Okay. Sorry about that. And he would clean things up, but he was pretty interesting. Um, we always some, liked my questions, Aaron. Yeah. In fact, <laughs> I'm just giving you he, shit. He even claimed to miss you at times. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Yeah, it's true. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Um, so here's a behind the scenes story on torts. Um, I'll just share a couple of them. We'll go back and forth here. Okay. <clears throat> I catch wind of a kid in Bexley, Ohio. Oh, this is who, who's, uh, who wanted blue jackets tickets, wanted to go to the games and his parents did what parents often do, uh, to pass the buck. They said, Hey, if you, if you make the money. If you raise the money for those Blue Jacket tickets, you can get Blue Jackets tickets. So this kid's like 12 years old, and he doesn't really have much to much he can do to raise money. But he comes up with an idea that he's going to start picking up, um, what's a nice way to say it? Poop. Uh, dog poop, sure. Uh, dog poop from people's front yard in the neighborhood he lives in Bexley. So he walks around and puts his signs on people's doors. Next thing you know, he's got about 30 homes. Word of mouth spreads. This kid does an exemplary job. He not only cleans up people's yards, he takes care of their he takes their dogs for walks while they're at work. And now keep in mind, Tortorella, dogs. So yep. there's a hook already. He would leave a dog biscuit on the people's back door to let them know that the dog had been walked. I mean, that's that's a pretty impressive touch right there. Within about a year and a half, Allison, this kid, this kid has like 400 homes. And like three staff members. And he's making bank. He's like 15 years old making money. And not only does he have enough to buy. We wrote a story about this. I think it was at the dispatch at the time. Not only does he have enough money to buy two seats in like 109. Like lower bowl seats. But he makes like a $3,000 donation to the John Tortorella Foundation. Which helps dogs and animal rescues. So one of the things you can do in this business. You have the scrum. And with most coaches, um, if if you and the coach have a good relationship, you can sort of up from your seat and go after them before they leave the room and have an, an aside, if you will. So I tell him the story. And after about half that story is told, Torts steps back. He may have jabbed me in the chest with, with his two fingers, too. And he said, your job is to get that kid down to the rink. Okay, so this I call this kid. The kid arranges to get himself out of school for the day. Um, and he comes down. In the meantime, the, the kid, Allison, has a check made. One of those, like, um, Price is Right size checks. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. And I don't know what he – I've got a picture of it somewhere, but he donated thousands of dollars to the John Tortorella Foundation. Anyways, Torts kept that kid's um, name in his cell phone. Uh, and they stayed in touch. And I think the kid actually did some stuff for Torts or for Torts' friends around town when they needed it. Um, he took the kid on a tour of the dressing room, introduced him to all the players. Um, and that was sort of an early glimpse of Torts' time in Columbus where you're like, this guy likes to do really nice things for people and he loves a good story. 100%. 100%. Yeah, I mean, the one, the story that I, uh, and I was trying to find footage, but I think it's been removed from the internet, which stinks. But uh, 
a story that always comes to my mind and it, it piggybacks on what you were saying of if, if it's hard to get that quick one-on-one to the side with torts because if it's a game day, it's almost impossible. And if it's not a game day, he's just come off the ice and he doesn't want to talk to you anymore anyway. So he's scurrying off. Um, but I started talking to John Tortorella about the Ohio state women's hockey team. And for those of you who don't know the woman who's the head coach of the Ohio state women's hockey team, she is jokingly referred to in our circles as a female torts. Um, very similar, very similar passion, um, just the same straight ahead attitude. Um, and she just worshiped him as a coach, just worshiped him as a coach. And throughout the years, we got to a point where, you know, I could just pull him aside and say, Hey, you know, the Ohio state's about to go to their first ever frozen four. And the first time is like, make sure I have her number. I'm going to text her. And a friendship struck up between them. He recorded a video that went on Twitter for the team that just blew up. Of course you can imagine. Um, but, but he always understood, at least this was my take. He always understood the value in investing in another coach of investing in the game and what, what was never overt, but I think is such an important lesson was this wasn't, Oh, that's women's hockey or anything like that. And for a program like Ohio state, that's been fighting for legitimacy and for a sport like the women's game that is fighting for equality in resources and attention and so many things for John Tortorella to always make time for Nadine Muzzerall and her program and invite her down to meet him after games and to talk to her and go meet the team when they held a practice in nationwide arena. Um, to your point, he, he cared about a lot of people and a lot of things that if he didn't, no one would have batted an eye but he always yeah. made time for those kinds of things. And, and to me, that was anytime I had something to talk to him about for women's hockey, he, he always had time for it. And that was pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, I think I will always remember the day uh, Jack Johnson signed with the Pittsburgh Penguins. <laughs> and uh, I'm sure people, I'm sure people remember um, Jack made a comment at his, at his press conference, I've, this is great. I've always wanted to be with the winning organization or some words to that effect, which seemed like a backhand slap at your previous girlfriend, kind of. Mm-hmm. And someone asked Jim Rutherford, well, why is Jack Johnson going to play for the Pittsburgh Penguins when he couldn't play for the Blue Jackets? And Rutherford said, well, I think we all know why he wasn't playing in Columbus, and I'll just leave it at that. Well, that incensed John Tortorella. And I'm sitting at, well, at the very desk I am now, actually, and I've got my phone in my hand, and I'm typing. Trying to think of a way, Allison, to ask this, to get going with Tortorella on this, see if he's heard these comments and see if he wants to comment about it. But I want to do it in a way that doesn't look like, you know, I'm being that greasy reporter that everybody expects or thinks maybe thinks I am um, trying to word it just right. And my phone buzzes and there's a text, John Tortorella. You want to talk to me about the shit coming out of Pittsburgh today? <laughs> I'm like, well, that answers that. Yep. So I said, absolutely. You call me or I call you. He said, you call me. I called him and 
I could tell he meant business because it wasn't the typical, hey, John, how you doing? Good, good. How are you? How's your family? It was, ask your question. And I I may have said three words and he just started going <laughs> and going. And uh, I mean, I asked maybe four questions the whole time. He went on about an eight and a half, 12 minute uh, rant. And I hang up and I'm like, Oh my God, I'm glad I don't work for the newspaper anymore because these quotes can be printed in their full glory. And then, Allison, I had a just an absolute shuddering fear come over me. He knows this is on the record, right? Right, exactly. And I'm like, of course he does. And then I'm saying, well, even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't think it was, he never said this is off the record, and he's a veteran coach. He knows to say that. Oh, God. All right. I'm going to text him back and just say, "You, this was all on the record, right? <laughs> and again, before I even hit the button on the text, I get a text from him that says, write the whole fucking thing. <laughs> so good. It's like, it's like he was reading my mind. Yes. And I was like, well, all right then. Yes. There you go. There's your, uh, you got a hall pass, kid. Get it. Yes. Um, and so we printed the whole damn thing, and it was absolutely glorious. Rather, If you're from Pittsburgh, you don't think it's glorious. But the passion, the, the, the passion of it that comes through with it is just incredible. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> that was, you called me after you had that exchange, and that was quite, quite the entertaining time. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, I remember... Uh, and I, I've hinted at this, but I don't think I've ever connected all the stories before. Um, when I was uh, writing for the team site, um, I pitched, and it was it was a big pitch, and it was really outside the box of kind of what what usually was going on. To, well, they, the team was already letting me put some stuff up there that wasn't usually what you find on a team site, and um, I wanted to do a series on leadership. And I wanted to talk to John Tortorella about leadership. And so for people who don't know, again, kind of this commentary, depending on, um, and this was, I think, Torts's second year, maybe, second or third year. Um, sometimes when you do something a little out of the norm, you might have, you know, a member of the staff kind of hover around or be present and make sure things don't go off the rails. Sure. And uh, so I, I was granted 15 minutes with John Tortorella in his office, which is almost unheard of. Um, outside of normal availability. So uh, Glenn Oldebrowski, wonderful Glenn, who we adore, who does great work in the PR team, you know, says, okay, here you go, takes me into the office. I have 15 minutes. John Tortorella and I talked leadership for an hour and a half to the point that when I came out, all the doors were closed and Glenn's texting me saying, I hope you're still alive because I finally just left. But it is still one of my favorite conversations that I've ever had about leadership in general. Um, we talked about things that, that were off the record, on the record, all about our lives, what we've done, what we think about leadership, all kinds of things, our families. Right. Um, it made for a great story. And what was interesting was at the time, um, I shared what my senior thesis was um, when I was getting my degree in leadership studies. And, and Tort says, I want to read that. And I'm like, oh, yeah, ha, ha, ha. Love it. Love it. For three months, this man pesters me. When am I going to read your senior thesis? 
And I'm so old that my senior thesis, while it is in our school library, it wasn't electronic or anything like that. They had to go find, and then I didn't have a copy of it, for goodness sake. So I have to call the library, I get a copy, and Torts was actually in town. It was his birthday week, and we, we were doing something. I think he had just signed an extension, maybe. And so we were doing something, and I grabbed him after um, he did something in the TV studio that's there in the arena. And I wished him, I had to ask him some stories for, ask him some questions for a story. And then I handed him an envelope with the paper and he goes, I've been waiting for this. And it was the next availability when uh, some stuff was going on with me that, that was challenging. And um, it was the opening media day when everybody's there before the season starts and Yarmo's there and JD's there and Torts is there. And, and Torts knew I was going through some stuff, just trying to figure out some stuff professionally. And I asked my question and the first thing he says and this is a man who disavows ever reading anything, says, hey, I read your stuff. I loved it. And that was, that was it. And I, it actually flustered me because I never expected that, particularly from him, yeah. particularly from the podium. But uh, he, he, knew when to, he knew when to throw someone a bone. And um, he, actually, he actually did want to read my freaking senior paper. And he, he gave me the copy back with notes, by the way. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Nice. Well, we there were also some, also some FU sessions behind the scenes, of course, as always. But it, it always it was always over the next day. Yep, which was pretty pretty cool. And the one thing I learned early on is is it doesn't really give a shit what you say about him. It's if you go too heavy on a player, if you if he thinks you belittle a player. You're going to, it doesn't really matter what question you ask. You're going to get shit on the next one. And if he thinks you take it too light on a player, I think he loses respect for you too. Yep. It's an interesting cat. He's an interesting cat, John Tortorella. Um, but yeah, I, the, the next coach has got big shoes to fill here at Columbus, Ohio. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Um, Allison, speaking of that, let's get to uh, quickly here. Um, I, I, I said this earlier. I sat down. Every story I write right now, I find myself drifting into touching every, every topic of the offseason because it just feels like some of these are too big to ignore. Um, it can be overwhelming if you think about all the stuff that they have to do. Um, and I'm wondering what you think is the biggest. So in no particular order, uh, they have a new coach to hire. They have Seth Jones to resign. They have Wierenski they can resign, although it's not as pressing as Jones, just because he's RFA instead of UFA. Um, do they bring back John Davidson? I mean, that's, it's a possibility. Uh, they're going to trade a goalie. Did I already mention that? They've got three first-round draft picks. What do they do with Patrick Laine? How can they get a top centerman? It's all kicking about. Um, and so, Allison, I've asked you to think of your five biggest storylines and go five to one. What is number five on your list? 
Uh, number five for me is trading a goaltender. Interesting. Yes. Because it can happen, but like, it's fine. Like, this is not a big, it, it, it works in service of items one, two, and three on my list. So it's number five. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. I've got JD in there and, and it's one of those things where if it happens, I think it goes higher on the, higher on the list. Um, I'm not sure that it does happen, but I feel like it would help. I feel like it would help in a lot of areas. For sure. Oh, I agree a, a million percent. Um, and and if if even if it's not JD, I, I feel like there needs to be somebody else in the front office to help them with. Although this is a weird time to add somebody right now with all the stuff flying. Uh, number four on your list. Number four on my list is the future status of Patrick Line as a Columbus Blue Jacket. <sighs> Me too. There you go. Me too. And I think this could go either way. I don't think it necessarily means you have to trade him. Right. But I think you're making a decision one way or the other. If you keep him and you don't try to trade him, you're committing to finding someone who can play with him. Yes. Plain and simple. Yes. I think you also have other players on the team that need other guys to play with them too. I think Cam Atkinson needs a centerman. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are you doing? What are you doing with there with a guy who's been here longer than, much longer than Line A? Um, yeah. So you're making a commitment one way or the other. You know what I'm saying? I do. Um, and I I wonder if Line A. I've I've just been spitballing. If you think Line A Corpusalo, and one of those or two of those late firsts for Eichel. Yeah, I'd do that. I would too. I don't know if the Sabers would do it. Uh, I've got the goalies third on the list. Interesting. Um, just because I, th- I think that position is so enormous, and I think the team at this point deserves they they deserve to know who the guy is. And I think it's time. Mm-hmm. It may be past time, to be honest with you. Um, what do you have third? Uh, I have the coaching hire as third. Mm-hmm. I've got that number two. Interesting. And it looks like that's going to be a little while. Yes. Um. Maybe well into the playoffs before they do it. Uh, I and so I think we both agree on what number one is. Okay. Well, we didn't do number two. Wait. Why well, I, I did? What is your number two? Oh, um, finding centers. Yeah, that's good for sure. And that I guess I caught I kind of morphed that in with line A, didn't I? Yeah, and I think they're yeah. I think they're actually independent. Because you, you you need centers, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, desperately. Yes. How many? How many do you think they need, Allison? Fairly. Eighteen. <laughs> no, they need. Uh, they, I mean, l- they truly need probably three. But again, you can never have too much center depth. So. Yeah. Uh, so, do you trust Domi as a centerman? The problem, this is back like when we do lineup. The problem is, I don't know if I trust him as a top six centerman yet, and he could be more yeah. valuable as a top six forward. Fair. Yeah, I think they need two for sure. Okay. But I'm not sure they can even get two. And you know what? If they get a number one. It's a lot better. It changes everything. Yes. I just Those number ones are so hard to get. But the number one major issue is, of course, let's say it at the same time. Seth Jones. Seth Jones. Yes. That might honestly be number one, two, and three. And if you think about it, I don't think it affects the goalie at all. But I think Jones affects the coach. In other words, I think you can attract a different coach if Seth Jones wants to stay 
than you can if Seth Jones wants to leave because you're asking a coach to at that point if Seth Jones isn't going to take their money you're looking at a coach who's just waiting on an opportunity to coach in the NHL not a guy that's that can afford to wait for the right opportunity right because you're most likely subjecting yourself to some tough seasons um but it's I think Seth Jones is the number one objective on their list this summer. Um, I know they can't re-sign him until July or July 1st. They can get a hell of an idea if he's going to do it or not. Um, and if he wants to, st- if he, if, if the, if the numbers are right, if the package is right and he wants to stay here, it would behoove him to let them know early so that they can begin to plan accordingly. Right. Um, because again, if he doesn't want to stay here, it changes. He's probably gone. I think it. I think Wierenski, What's Wierenski's future here if Jones leaves? Some of the veterans that are signed, do they want to go through a long rebuild? Man, it's all number three. Well, and that's. I mean, that you know, it's funny that you started off saying this is this is an overwhelming amount of work and. Maybe it's just because this is what I used to do in, in my former life. But to me, there's a big picture answer, and that is what is what is this team building towards? And yeah. the answer of Seth Jones determines that. Correct. And then everything falls in service of that. So once you know that, you know if you're going to draft centers because your window is now a lot later, or are you going to use those first-round picks to trade for centers because your window is a lot closer? What kind of coach do you need? What are you going to get for Patrick Laine? Your goaltending decision now hinges on which goaltender returns what for a trade, depending on what your team is going to look like over the next three to 10 years. So to me, once that is decided, it's a volume of work, but it's actually a really understandable outline of work that needs to be tackled once you have the answer to that question. Yeah, you're right. But it's just such a... It's so weighty because if he wants to do this, then all of this is possible. If he doesn't want to do this, then, oh, dear God, where does it go? The leverage, Allison, the leverage. Yes. It's incredible, isn't it? But, it, you know, it's it's interesting because I th- it is, but I think that um, the little that I believe I know Seth Jones, I don't, this is not an exercise in ego for him at all. Um Oh no. And I I know no. that's not what you're saying, but this is this is what is the player going to do? And and honestly, what is the organization going to show him that not only will it do but can it do to uh move the ball forward? And I really forgive me, I don't think this can be a negotiation. Well, I as think that it, it, it can sounds. be a discussion. Yeah, but I think it has to be a a courtship. Oh, for sure. A hundred percent. You know what I'm saying? Like it's got to be a sweep him off his feet situation because he knows everything here. You're not selling him on the program, the city. He knows all that. Right. It's does he believe in the future vision of the team? Are the numbers right? Is he, and I think he's going to be, if not the highest paid defenseman in the league, I think he's going to be top five. Yes. I think that's how it works. Yes. Um, it goes in cycles. Yes. You know? So I agree. I agree. And, and I think, you know, it's for as much as you wrote that piece talking to former players and, and everything else, like they were willing to quote unquote overpay for Artemi Panarin because he was worth it. 
And this needs to be a situation where you're willing to overpay not only because this player is worth it on the ice, but also off the ice. This is, this is an essential step. It just is. And whether people like it or not, it just is. Yeah. And what I mean by, I'm not sure it's even a negotiation. I just think that first offer. Oh, needs to be. It can't miss the mark. It needs to show respect that the player has. Totally. Yes. It almost has to be a little like, well, yeah. Thank you. Yes. It can't because, yeah, that the first step is going to be so vital because if it's an errant step, I'm not sure you recover from. Right. Anyways. I agree. Anything else we need to get to, Allison? I think that's it. There's going to be a lot to talk about. Oh, it's going to be a fun summer. Fun summer. I feel like we should number these topics. Okay. So that we can just continually refer to them. Um, an update on number one, and then go right into <laughs> go right into Jones just for clarity. Oh, perfect. Uh, I like it. It'll be fun. I like yeah. it. Yeah, and we'll get into. I think next week we may talk about the coaching search and what kind of coach we think this team needs in follow up to John Tortorella. Maybe we'll have some details on who's interviewing then. Uh, already hearing some things, but nothing locked down enough to to throw out there. So. But uh, I think that's where we're going next week. But we've got plenty to, to discuss in the coming weeks. And we certainly thank you for sticking with us. And thanks for listening to today's show. And we'll talk to you again next week.